Hi, I'm Morgan. Welcome to More Games. I wanted to do this podcast to inspire people to go after their dreams and have a lifestyle they've always wanted for themselves. So I hope you come on this journey with me to hear from people that inspire me to be better. I hope they do the same for you. Morgan. Ben. Today's the day. <laughs> Today's are, the day. Are you even ready? I, th- I mean, I think so, but I'm a little distracted because this little girl. Oh. A face though. The face. I have to have her on my lap because when I put her down, she just like cries, and I'm like, oh, I'm not going to be able to do this interview with. You well, know. I think I speak for everyone that's watching that. That's bring her up whenever you want because that face though. Oh. Well, she's she's a Sagittarius, so she'll be sure to get her FaceTime. <laughs> oh my god. She just stares at herself in my mirror all day. She's like, I'm so pretty. Just like her mom. No. I'm <laughs> All right. So for those that don't know, I'm Ben. I'm the producer of the podcast. And um, I thought I thought for the 10th episode, we should celebrate Morgan and tell her story because the whole point of the podcast was how, I mean, for me, at least from how I saw it is how inspirational she is, and what she's overcome in her life. And um, I think she has a ton of knowledge from that standpoint alone uh, to bring to the podcast and the viewers and the listeners, but also the guests she brings on. She that is what they have in common is that they've gone through so much to make a life for themselves. So um, here we are. Yeah. Taking your time to even to, you know, I mean, for those of you who don't know, Ben and I have worked together for a very long time. We did a little documentary short about a car accident that I was in. And that's kind of how we met is I hired him to do that. And, um, and then we've been working together on projects ever since we've, create a couple of like tv show pitches that we're working on and you know he's very very talented if anyone needs a photographer or a videographer ben is your guy so thank you for always believing in me ben and working for free a lot for me (laughs) (laughs) we'll pass that at this point (laughs) so thank you um, of course. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to share my story. Uh, when you brought this up, I, uh, yeah, I thought, wow, I've never really shared like my whole story. I've shared bits and pieces, but never yeah. like, my whole like life story. And I know people ask me a lot of questions about things. So I thought this would be a really good uh, way to celebrate our 10th episode and like share, share a little bit about me. Yeah. Well, I think the best place to dive in is just where are you from? Where were you born? Start right there. Okay. Um, So I was born in Fallbrook, uh, California, so kind of near San Diego. But I really grew up in Lake Elsinore until I was 10. Uh, We lived in a little mobile home, my parents and me. And then when I was five, my parents had my little sister. Um, So we had a really you know, good, simple life. And, uh, you know, really, um, the first big thing to happen to me was uh, when I was eight years old, my family and I were coming home from a Lake Elsinore Storms baseball game. And, um, you know, my parents were, were in a car with my sister. And, you know, we had met my grandpa there and three of my younger cousins there. And I wanted to go in the car with them on the way back to our house. So, um, on the way home, we were following my my parents, and my dad saw a drunk driver coming head on pretty quick, 
and he swerved off the road knowing that my grandpa probably wouldn't have time to really react because this guy was going over 100 miles an hour. So um, we ended up hitting head on at 140 mile an hour impact. Um, I was in the seat in the middle in the back. And so I didn't have a shoulder strap uh, back then. And so the impact burst my, my intestines open, my small intestines. So I had toxins, you know, all over my body. And by the time I was, you know, airlifted to the hospital, I had lost half my blood supply. And the doctors had told my parents that I wouldn't survive, that I had a 0% chance of making it through the night. So my, you know, my parents got a bunch of friends together to donate blood. So I was, you know, getting blood transfusions. It got me through my first surgery. And they said, if she makes it through the night, she may have a chance, but we're, we're really not thinking she will. Um, but obviously I, I did and um, kind of shocked everybody. So they flew in other surgeons to do other surgeries. And in the end, I lost uh, half my small intestines over six feet, part of my colon, part of my spleen. I had an open wound in my stomach, like the size of like an adult fist. And it was just kind of a crater in my stomach, um, lost my belly button and um, yeah, and so they did that, packed it with gauze for a little bit. I had um, collapsed lungs. I was on a respirator. I got pneumonia. A bunch of stuff happened in the hospital that kind of set me back a little bit. But uh, I was in the hospital initially for three months, got out, went home with an open wound in my stomach. Then they went back a few months after and did a skin graft, took skin from my side stretched it over my stomach, it herniated. So at eight years old, it looked like I was nine months pregnant. And basically I stayed that way for a year, had to learn how to like really walk again, eat again. Cause I was fed through tubes for so long. I was very skinny and pale. Um, this, this story, this story always, I've heard it. I mean, how many times now? And every single time it's still like messes with me every time I hear it. Cause I can visualize it the way you talk about it. I can visualize it. And it's just incredible. Can you go back actually to the hospital? And we skipped a thing, a part that is so important. As you were how old? You were eight years old, right? Eight. What it was like as an eight-year-old dealing with that in the hospital. Just talk about just being brought in from that point of being in the hospital and seeing all these people, these doctors, these tools, this equipment, being alone for a lot of it, I'm sure, because they had to, you know, no one in the room at a certain point. And you have them just to be grown up without being grown up yet and doing all this. Like, well, what was that like emotionally as an eight-year-old? Yeah. Oh, thanks for asking that. Yeah. Cause I do, I remember it really well mm -hmm. of waking up after a surgery and being alone and uh, not really knowing what was going on. I remember waking up really scared and crying and it felt like forever before someone came to check on me. Mm -hmm. And I just said, where's my mom? Where's my, where's my mom? And I remember a nurse saying, she can't be here right now. Um, you're going to, you know, you're okay. You're in the hospital. And, um, and so it was really scary for me. And I, I don't really a hundred percent remember this, but my dad said that I would, you know, that I woke up once and looked at him and I said, daddy, am I going to die? And he said, no, no, you're not going to die. And then he said he would go in the hallway and just break down crying. Cause he really didn't know. And my mom said that once I, I woke up and I do kind of remember this, I was in a lot of pain and all I remember is wanting like an orange soda. I don't know. I was craving it and I couldn't have anything. I, they gave me a sponge every few hours that they put in water and I just, 
I wanted that so bad. I just remember I wasn't hungry. I was just thirsty. I was so thirsty and I couldn't drink for a long time. I couldn't even have ice. Like I just had those little sponges every few hours. And, um, and so I remember being just kind of miserable. Like, you know, when I would cough, I, I just saw this hole in my stomach and at eight years old, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I just was so confused and I really didn't know. I felt like I might die um, because I just knew it wasn't right. And I didn't really know what exactly happened, but uh, because I had pneumonia with an open wound, they would give me pillows and stuffed animals to like hold my stomach when I coughed because it would hurt so yeah. bad. Um, and I, I just remember turning to my mom and, and I said, mom, I think I want to die. I think I want to go to heaven. And she said, as an, as an eight-year-old, mm -hmm. as an eight-year-old, I can't get over that. Like to have that capacity emotionally, but to, as an eight-year-old, mm -hmm. I can't continue that as a 30-year-old. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was tough on me. It was tough on my parents, you know, but honestly, what I credit my life to is really like my mom telling me, no, you, you're not done here. You have a lot to do. You have to live. You have to fight. And I do remember thinking I had an option. I remember thinking if my mom says that I can die, I'm gonna let go. Like, I remember feeling like I could do that or, you know, I could fight if I wanted to. And because my mom told me I had to, um, then I said, okay, gotta do what my mom says. So I fought and it was really, um, it was really hard. Mm. It was really tough. It was a long recovery. Um, even after all my surgeries, just a lot of different medicines and <laughs> sorry, um, just like, you know, trying to introduce food back into my body again. Mm. Um, it was a really tough time that took a long time to heal. So, yeah. And um, the drunk driver, I mean, he only got, he only served like three years. He had just gotten out of prison and then served three years and then got, you know, back out and did more things later on in life and so um you know he didn't have insurance so it's not like I got you know a bunch of money or anything or my family like my dad's insurance covered all of it it was just a really bad situation um but we're all still here everybody in my family survived it you know my cousins all had their injuries and my grandpa I know one of my cousins was in a coma another cousin you know, broke his back. And I know he wanted to be a police officer, but because of his injuries, he couldn't do that. So it oh, really has affected wow. all of us long-term, unfortunately, but we're all still here. So that's a blessing. I never knew that. Yeah, wow. yeah my cousin. What, um, how was it? Have your parents ever told you? And I know a lot of this story, so I'm trying to like, not, I know it, it, it's weird for me to like act shocked because I know the story, mm -hmm. but there's little things that you've been saying that like, I didn't know these micro details. Um, you mentioned before about your parents, like how was it for them dealing with you at home and the aftermath of that? And did you have to be rushed back if something came loose or you started, you know, like, was there any complications they had to deal with on the fly themselves or? Yeah, you know, it was, um, it was tough because I mean, they were great. I was never alone in the hospital. I will say that yeah. like one of them, if not both of them were always there. And I don't ever remember being alone ever. Um, so, you know, thinking about that, like three months or, and, you know, more uh, in a hospital chair that they slept in, like they didn't even get a bed. 
um, that's huge. And we had my little sister who was three at the time. And unfortunately, like she kind of got thrown at family members. And so, you know, she's wondering what's going on. And I remember her being confused and like, why are my mommy and daddy here? Why are my yeah. sister here? And then they're feeling the guilt because they're not really paying her attention. They're spending all their time with me. And I know that like when I got out, I still had an open wound in my stomach and my parents had to learn how to pack my stomach with gauze and they had to do it right. So they had to, there's a special way to take, put your gloves on so you don't contaminate anything and take them off. And they had to take the gauze and soak it in medicine and pack it in my stomach. And then I'm crying because I could feel everything. Um, it was just a very weird feeling. And I still remember the way the inside of my stomach smelt. It's it's so bizarre to me. Okay. Yeah, it's it's really weird. It's such a weird feeling to to feel people inside your stomach and like know how that feels and how it looked and how it smelled and that stuff. Like I was eight, but I will never forget any of that. Yeah, you can't. Um, six of you, and so my parents like they really struggled to to learn how to do all of that on their own multiple times mm -hmm. a day. Um, and then just, you know, just really worrying if, if something was going to go wrong, that they kind of for a while treated me like a little porcelain doll. Like I couldn't yeah. be active like a normal kid. I couldn't do any of that because they were afraid that I would, you know, really injure myself. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it was really tough on them with without being able to really work for the time that I was in the hospital there. Yeah. Uh, we were just really blessed that like we had great friends and family to kind of support us and both of their jobs like totally understood and gave them all the time they needed off and they still got to keep their jobs so a lot had to happen for for all of this to go down the way it did so you know but it was very stressful on them for multiple reasons yeah can you talk about what it was like on the aftermath coming out of that and now you're in recovery and you're starting to grow up and back into school and kind of what all what all that entailed and the 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 um the, not the aftermath, but just the, the repercussions of missing so much time and having to get back in the swing of things and all that. Yeah, my new reality. So I go back to school and, you know, kids, like, they continue on. So my friends that were my friends in school, like, they were still, like, my friends, but they had all bonded. Mm -hmm. because really, I wasn't there for almost a year. I missed, like, all of basically, like, fourth grade. And so um, that was really... Yeah, it was really weird um, coming back and not really having my friends be as close, you know, and kind of feeling left out. And uh, because I couldn't really be active and I just had to sit there at recess, like it was really, it was really tough for me to like fit in. I felt different. Um, and then academically, I was very behind and I went to a private school and they decided not to hold me back which I now think was kind of a mistake because I, um, I missed so much school and I was so lost and I felt like I was always trying to catch up. I'm also dyslexic. And so it was just like, everything was against me. Um, so yeah, it was really tough. And then in fifth grade, I ended up transferring to a different school because we moved to Hemet um, when I was in fifth grade. And so I ended up going to a public school for the first time. And that was even more awkward. I felt so sheltered. And this was just like this huge shock of, of a different culture, different kids. 
I was still very behind uh, in school. And so it was just really tough to feel like, I mean, I, I couldn't do PE still. I couldn't, people would say, why does she get special treatment? Why doesn't she have to do this? Why does she? And so kids kind of didn't like me because I got out of stuff that they didn't want to do. So, um, so like, I would say like, fifth grade, then junior high, like it was just really, really tough. I felt like it took a long time. It wasn't until like really my junior year in high school that I felt like I started to fit in. That's when I first started to um, really like make friends. And I was able to get on the dance team and be a little active for the first time in my life. And um, so that was like, really, I mean, the first time that I felt like I fit in, but with schoolwork, I, I just felt so discouraged that I was so lost and, um, you know, it just, I didn't, I kind of gave up like after middle school, I was like, you know, you know, I just kind of like cheated my whole way through, through high school. You felt like you had like more, you had like a bit of a license to do it. So you, you took advantage of the crutch. Took advantage. And I had like friends that would do homework for me or I would like cheat on tests or whatever I would <laughs> I would get yeah. like special treatment from mm. from teachers that felt bad for me and I would say I really don't feel like going to English today and then you know they'd say oh don't worry I'll call I'll call your teacher and tell you you're just gonna hang out with me like in the dance studio today wow. like I just knew how to work the system and I didn't do myself any favors like it definitely um I chose a harder route you know, it could have been a lot easier if I would have just like applied myself, but I think wow. I was just so discouraged and really played a victim all through high school to where I, yeah. you know, I just kind of wanted to do what I had to do to make it so that I can go out in the real world and figure yeah. it out. You know? I remember you mentioning to me um, when you, when it was time when you were getting a little bit older and, or in that time, but you started going to parties and pool parties and you started feeling like you couldn't really go on a bathing suit because you felt like you maybe looked at funny because of your accident and what happened from there. And can you get into that a little bit? Cause I mean, that's, yeah. that's it, it's valuable for, for, you know, kids at that age that already feel judged just for who they are without any sort of defects or surgeries or any of that that's visible, but like to that level that you dealt with it. Yeah. That was really tough for me when, you know, in high school when all the girls, you know, I didn't live too far away from uh, Oceanside. And so people would go to the, kids would go to the beach all the time or pool parties. And I just felt like I, I hated my body, which I know a lot of high schoolers do, but like when I'm seeing all of my friends that are on the volleyball team and they're like, or dance and they're really thin and they've got these perfect bodies and I'm looking at a huge scar going down my stomach and a huge scar on my side um and I even have some on my legs from like glass that they didn't remove they just kind of let it pop out on its own and so I have scars all over and I wow. just felt so ugly and I remember looking in the mirror in junior high and high school and just crying saying god why did you make me this way like, why did you make me so ugly? And why do I have, like, why did I go through all this? I'm like getting emotional. It was so hard, you know? And um, I just remember thinking like, no guy is ever going to want me. And like, as a kid, it's just so hard to like, see all your friends have boyfriends and have guys interested in them. And I just felt like, um, like, I just, I didn't fit in. 
I didn't feel attractive. Like I had like the worst hair ever. Like I know everyone's like, how do you, what do you do with your hair? And everyone loves it. But in middle school and high school, it was like, I didn't know what to do with it. It was like frizzy and I had bangs and they would curl up and it was like so awkward. And I had braces. It's like, oh geez, it was, I was a mess, but, um, but it was really tough, you know? And so I would make excuses all the time as to like why I couldn't go to the beach or pool parties and then again that like everyone's out there bonding and I'm just like sitting at home like not wanting to you know to leave because I felt like like what's the point I'm just gonna get made fun of or like maybe not made fun of you know in person but behind my back you know I would have girls say I've heard you don't have a belly button like rumor has it, you don't have a belly. And they actually built me a belly button, like a plastic surgeon. So like I have one, oh, yeah. but it's not mine. And so that like got around. So I'm like, oh, people are talking about me behind my back. Like, I feel like everyone's really nice. I never really got made fun of in front of my face, mm -hmm. but I knew people were talking about me behind my back. So. What age was that? That was like in high school. Yeah. Wow. It was like that was a volatile time emotionally. That's that's awful. Yeah, it was pretty tough. Um, so talking about like high school and boys. And, and so this is, I guess, like the next big thing to happen to me in my life. I was 16. And there was the hot, older 19 year old boy down the street with the lifted truck and all the girls wanted him and he had just graduated high school and everyone knew him. And you know, my dad was actually cool with him. They would like work on their cars together. And my dad was like, Hey, I'm going to go down the street, uh, to, you know, this guy's house. I won't say his name, but, um, he said, do you want to, do you want to go? And I'm like, sure. Um, cause like I had a crush on him. I'm like, yeah, I want to go to his house. And so, you know, he saw me and, and we kind of like started talking and I'm, you know, the shy 16 year old who's never really had any like guys attention before. And so he showed me attention and we ended up dating and I felt like, oh my gosh, this guy that all the girls want, like wants me. Oh my gosh. Like I, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and uh, the first few months, I remember it being really nice, like to just feel wanted and to, you know, feel loved. And then it took a huge turn. He started becoming very abusive in every way possible. He was like my first like sexual experience and it was pretty much forced. Um, and then he got very possessive. I didn't know this part, this, that part we just said. Sorry. Yeah, it was, um, it was kind of, you know, I just didn't feel comfortable. I, I, you know, I wasn't ready, but he told me like, look, I'm your boyfriend. This is what we do in relationships. And if you want to be with me, this is what we do. And like, he kind of made me feel like, you know, I have to do this because this is what we do, you know? And so he, you know, it, not only just sexual, but, but he became very like possessive and um, very angry. And I started seeing signs like he, he started punching holes in his walls in his room. And, and it was, uh, yeah, it was really scary. And I realized like, I need to get out of this. 
But then when I tried to break up with him, he chased me around with a hockey stick and started uh, hitting things, hitting his shower. He shouted, shouted his shower uh, door and put holes in the walls. And I really was scared for my life. And he said, no, we are going to be together. You're not leaving me. I will kill you if you try to leave. And if you tell your family, if you tell your dad, I'll kill him. Like he was threatening these things. He's going to kill you and your dad. Mm -hmm. And I believed him. And so I was scared. I was 16 and I was terrified. So I stayed with him and I would hear at school all the time, your boyfriend's cheating on you. I saw him at a party, you know, and every time I tried to end it, he, you know, he lived down the street. And I remember one time trying to, to end it. And I went out with friends and I'm like, you know, forget, I like, I, I just need out of this, like, you know, I would get really tired of it and just whatever he's going to do, he's going to do, but I need out. And he would wait for me to come home at night and he would be in like a black hoodie and he would run down the street from his house and I would try to get in my house fast and he would grab me from behind and throw me on the ground and start hitting me. And, and it was, um, it was really scary. It was really scary. There were times where he would follow me. He ran me off the road twice. One time he broke out my back window, kicked it out drug me through the window, threw me in the street in, in front of a car. The car missed me, called the police. I thought, okay, this is it. This is done. Like the police are here. It's going to be over. And, you know, basically they chalked it up to, he was drunk. He drank a lot. He was always high. They said, you know, he's just, they justified he's it. They justified it. Oh. My, and, and my dad came once and I love my dad, but like, you know, he tries to see the good in everybody and he really thought that he was a good guy and I never told him any of this. And so, you know, he even uh, was like, you know, it was an accident, you know, like everyone made excuses for him and he became like, he was just this different person with me than he was in front of most people. So everyone thought that he was this amazing guy, but he was very evil. So this went on for a really long time, for a couple years. And I became very depressed and I started drinking a lot. So starting at like 16, I started getting drunk at parties, but then I started getting alcohol and like hiding it in my room mm-hmm. and drinking by myself. And um, that was kind of like how I was dealing with things. And so by the time I was 17, I, you know, I pretty much had like an alcohol problem. And, um, you know, I came home one night drunk and my mom and I got into an argument about my drinking and I never drove drunk or anything, but like she tried to take away my keys cause she thought that I, that I was, or that I would get to that point. And, uh, we got into a huge fight and my dad threw me out. So at 17, I went and lived with friends that had graduated high school before me. They had all gotten a house or like five guys. And we lived in, in this house and it was a party house. So, <laughs> So here I am like 17 years old living with five guys. I'm the only girl. And we had people over every night. It was the place to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had, you know, I had three jobs and I'm just sitting here like trying to make it. Um, Eventually my parents asked me to come back home and I was too prideful. I said, no, I'm not doing it. I'm I'm an independent woman. (laughs) You can't touch this. 
Yeah, so, um, so eventually what ended up happening is it got really bad with my boyfriend at the time where um, I was house sitting for somebody and we got into, he came over and we got into a fight and he started chasing me around with a knife. Um, I tried to get out. I was going down the stairs. And Wait, so, sorry to interrupt. This is the same guy from before? Or this is a new, this is the same dude? Guy. The same guy, yeah. Yeah, and so he was chasing me with a knife. I was trying to get out. I was going down the stairs and he pulled my shirt and literally just like ripped my shirt off and drug me upstairs and threw me in the master bedroom and shut the door and took my phone and set and took my keys and said, if you leave this room, I'll kill you. And um, I just stayed there until he came and like allowed me to come out because I was scared. And that day I said, you know what? I, I have, I have to do something about this. I have to end it. This is, I can't live like this anymore. So I got a restraining order on him. And even after that, um, I would still get roses on my car. He stalked me. It was really bad. I even, well, I'll tell you this later, but I moved to Arizona at one point and he even found me in Arizona. If I would go like anytime I couldn't post where I was at cause he would find me even with the restraining order and he would get arrested, but he would always come back. Um, so it was a big mess, you know, but eventually I got out of that. And um, I was never yeah. thrown in jail for like a long period of time. Like I'm talking years. Like, how was that? How did that not happen? He ended up eventually going, not because of me, but he ended up going to prison for quite a while okay. um, for like drugs, like selling drugs and stuff. And so, I mean, like he was on some pretty heavy stuff. I found out later he was on Coke and it wasn't just, and then alcohol, he was always drunk. Like he was just a, a big mess. So um, yeah, so that was like at, at 17, like that's a lot to handle. And that was like really my first like real oh relationship experience. And so you could imagine like how that really messed me up in the yeah. relationship department when it comes to like trust and, and uh, yeah. So have you, have you, um, have you heard from him since? Like, I mean, after, obviously after, I mean, between the last like 10 years or whatever. No, no, no I haven't. Okay. Thank God. No. Um, yeah. That went on like where he would reach out until like my mid twenties. Mm -hmm. I'm 34 now. So it's been probably about 10 years since I've heard from him. Um, but yeah, I, thankfully he doesn't live in that same, you know, same house anymore by my parents because they still live in that house, but he, he moved. So yeah. yeah. God. Good riddance. Yeah. It was awesome. a lot. Um, so what would, what's, what would be the next sort of, uh, is the next thing Arizona? No, actually. So oh. this is where life started to take a interesting turn. Um, so here I am in this party house and I love these boys to this day, but um, it was not good for me. I mean, I was going to TJ. My parents don't know this. They're going to kill me. I would go to Tijuana, 18 years old. I, I turned 18. My 18th birthday, we, we packed at least 
300 people in this house like sardine oh my god my 18th birthday party was huge the cops got called they allowed them to finish singing me happy birthday before they told everyone they had to leave like i remember looking downstairs and seeing the cops and they're like we'll wait and like everyone's singing <laughs> like it was crazy but i we were always out doing something i mean i had i was like such a party year never got into to like heavy drugs or anything but alcohol and we would go to tj and like people that i was with that were driving would be on ecstasy and stuff like looking back i'm like i don't think i'm still alive i don't know how like we got ourselves into some really bad yeah. situations um and growing up like you know i lived in hemet so we off-road all the time and we would kind of crash you know every once in a while we had roll cages and stuff but like we got into some crazy stuff like that time in my life from like 17 to like 1920 was crazy partying um dumb dumb decisions got myself into some really scary situations but I had gone through so much trauma by then that I'm just I felt so lost um and it really wasn't until I was coming back from San Diego. We had gone to Tijuana that, that night. I crashed at a friend's house in San Diego. And then I woke up, my friend woke me up and was like, you have to be at work. And I needed this job to pay my bills. And like 18 and I, I wake up, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I have to be in Hemet in like, you know, an hour for work and I'm still drunk. And the whole way home, I'm throwing up and it was awful. And I get to where I tried to call out and they were like, we know you were partying last night. You get into work or you're losing your job. So I, I rushed there, got throw up in my hair. I thought it was so gross. Oh yeah. yeah. And then I am with a customer and they're like, you know, ask me a question. And I literally throw up on them. Like it came out of nowhere. And my boss could tell that I was drunk, could smell the alcohol. And he's like, you're out of here. And I go home and I'm like, I can't do this. Like, what am I doing? Like, I survived this accident. Mm -hmm. I survived this crazy ex-boyfriend. I am, you know, I'm a Christian girl, born and raised Christian. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, God, God saved me for a reason. And I feel like I'm, I'm just, if I go down this path, I'm going to end up dead or on the streets and and I really have to make some changes and so that day I really like stopped drinking um and then I got a job as a, a nanny and I moved and um so I was a nanny for these two little kids and just completely strained out my life and their mom um was she's passed now unfortunately but she was she was a lesbian woman single mom and uh, she really became like this mentor for me. Mm. And she helped me get my first real like lease, my car. She co-signed. She helped me get my first credit card. She taught me how to be, you know, a mom to these little kids almost, you know. And, and so I, and like she taught me how to cook. She taught me about, she introduced me wow. to sushi and wine and like all these, you know, things that I had never really you know, like experience before. And she helped me out a lot. And um, so I did that for a few years. And in the process of that, I discovered that I really love, <coughs> sorry, I really loved photography. Mm. 
-hmm. And I was like kind of searching for what I want to do with my life. And that became like a huge hobby for me is photography. And I ended up um, turning that into a career eventually. So that brings me to the next uh, step in my life, which is, um, you know, I bought this camera and I, I had like one of the original 5Ds. And um, I just started like getting all my friends to model for me and try to like, you know, anything that I could photograph, I did. And um, I ended up, you know, I loved this photographer, Michael Sandville. He was really big at the time for doing Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt's wedding. Mm. And I wanted to work with him. So I got a, like a portfolio together and I set up a meeting and I went to his studio um, that was in his house in Beverly Hills. And I'm like, you know, I, I love your work. I want to intern for you. I'll do anything. And, and he was like, well, you know, you have a good eye, but you really need, you know, more experience before you work with me, but keep it up and come back. And I was with a friend and on our way back home, this is like really important for the next stage of my life. So on the way home from that, even though that didn't work out, we are, it's like our first time really in Hollywood. And my friend and I see something going on at the Chinese theater. So we're like, oh, we're here, let's check it out. And so we, we stopped by and it was the employee of the month premiere with Dane Cook and Jessica Simpson. Oh yeah. Yeah. And the line was like around the block. And so we get out and we're asking the security guard, like, what is this for? And he tells us, and we're like, do you need a ticket? And he's like, yeah, you need a ticket. And I was like, oh, I don't have a ticket. And he was just like, all right. So he's like, all right, everybody, one single file line, let's go in. And he cuts, like he, he pushes us in and then cuts it off and says, I'm sorry, that's it. We don't have room for anybody else. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm telling my friend, don't look back, don't look back. Those people are going to be so I mad. Sure. <laughs> I would want to kill you. Yeah, I feel bad, but it was really a game changer. I met Dane Cook that night and he introduced me to his friend, Jay Davis, um, who is also a comedian and he would travel with him a lot when he was like in his, you know, prime. And um, so he would tour with him. And Jay, you know, asked me what I, what I do. And I said, oh, I'm a photographer. I mean, I kind of exaggerated a lot and mm -hmm. I'm just like, I'm a photographer. And he's like, oh, okay. Um, I'm looking for a photographer at Laugh Factory. I have a show on Tuesday nights mm -hmm. and I need a photographer. Do you know how to take photos without a flash in the dark? I had no idea, but I'm like, yeah, of course. And he's like, okay, great. Can you start on Tuesday? And I'm like, yep. And here I am in Hemet. Oh my God. And I live in Hemet. And I'm like, I just accepted a job every Tuesday in Hollywood, but whatever. And um, I needed to learn how to like take photos without a flash. So I go home and I, you know, I research it and I show up that Tuesday. And that led to this whole amazing time in my life where I, you know, I started at Laugh Factory on Tuesdays. I would meet comedians and celebrities that would say, you know, I need, um, I need headshots. Um, can you take, you know, headshots of me? Can you like one of the first, um, well, there's, yeah. So I, I did a, a lot of like comedians that were first starting out that weren't big then, but are big now. And I would do their headshots or I'd take photos of them on stage and they would ask me for them. And then 
fans would like turn it into artwork and that's it cool. was pretty yeah it was like the myspace days and yeah. it was just a really cool time and that kind of led to you know people start like starting to see my work at the like improv and laugh factory and the haha ha cafe and then someone you know said we need somebody to do um, event photography at the playboy mansion would you be interested in that mm -hmm. i was like yeah absolutely like i like whatever makes money and so everyone thought that i lived in la but i actually lived in hemet which is a two-hour drive and i would drive almost every night after i got off work from my nanny job and I would come to LA to do these photography jobs that barely paid anything. But I loved the people. I loved the lifestyle. Um, I made a lot of friends. And eventually doing photography, like, you know, at the Playboy Mansion and all these comedy clubs led to like red carpet events at the Oscars. And yeah. I would sell to like People Magazine and, and do all these different uh, jobs there weddings um headshots all of that uh but then somebody said you know uh it was like when ufc first started okay. and yeah and um they said you know somebody said uh um i'm sorry my I'm a little distracted by this this little girl right here sorry um someone said dana white uh saw you and he wants you to be a part of this whole new, um, like who our next ring girl is going to be competition. Mm. And I'm like, okay, sure. And mind you, I haven't really, I hadn't worked out like a day in my life and I had this big scar and I'm like, don't they have to be like half naked for that? But honestly, like, like doing what I did at, Playboy Mansion and all these and meeting all these amazing like people mm -hmm. gave me confidence like I felt like I fit in for the first time everyone was so nice to me so respectful of me and um you know I I was like everyone's little sister and for whatever reason like I was like totally down I went from being super insecure to I'm like sure I'll give it a try and I'm, I'm up against these girls with six packs. I'm like out there in a bikini, like, I don't know what I'm doing, like, but whatever. Like, I never have to see these people again if, if this doesn't work out. And I ended up winning. Yeah, see, that's, you see, so in every story I've heard so far, you faked it till you made it and you made it. Like you made it every <laughs> time you made it by the skin of your ass right in there. It's awesome. <laughs> A lot of people say like they don't like that fake it till you make it, but I'm like, hey, that's how yeah. I live my life. Like I fake it all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I ended up, you know, getting a little contract to be a ring girl. I turned out to like I hated it. Like it was, it was cool. Like you know, we sign autographs and like people become your fans. And like, I remember on MySpace, people saying, are you gonna be at the fight? Like, I want a picture with you. And they'd like throw their kids oh my at God. me. It was like bizarre, um, but it, it, it was cool. Like I still have friends, like uh, my friend Rampage, like we, you know, became friends. He used to like spray me with silly string. Like we would joke around <laughs> and I made like a lot of friends, but it just like yeah. wasn't for me, but um, it was a good experience and it led to other modeling jobs. I did um, like stock modeling and stuff and like 
just like little skits here and there um, with like comedians that I met along the way. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like some of the people I've met, I'm still friends with to this day um, that, you know, like Crystalia, Jason Collins and uh, Eric Schwartz, like all these amazing comedians. And I'm just so like happy to see like how far they've come, Joe Coy, like, it's just amazing, you know, because I feel like we all kind of like grew up together in a way and I was like the little sister and mm-hmm. it was a really cool experience. Um, but then I, next chapter of my life, meet a guy who I ended up really falling for and he was just this normal like guy going to dental school mm-hmm. and he got accepted in Arizona mm-hmm. and uh, we did long distance for a little bit and it got to the point where he's like, you know, we either need to move in together or we need to break up. And I really loved him. And I thought I was going to marry him. So I said, okay. And I gave everything up, my whole glamorous little lifestyle I had going on in, in LA. And I moved to Arizona. I had no idea what I was going to do, but I moved there and I got a job as a front end manager at Target. And it was a total culture shock because oh my God, yeah, I'm <laughs> like this like crazy life that I built for myself in LA and mind you going back and forth every day from Hemet to LA. Mm-hmm. Um, and then going from that to working like a nine to five and target and, you know, and I, I, you know, I was fine. Like I was, I was happy, but it wasn't like, I didn't feel like I was doing anything I was passionate about. Um, sorry, and it, how, how old are you at this point? Oh goodness, now I'm like 22. Okay, got so, it. Um, so yeah, and then, sorry, she's getting really, she no. dropped her phone, sorry guys. No, you gotta bring it, I'm sorry, show the camera. <laughs> this little one, she, by the way, oh. side note, no sleep in almost two weeks this little one she and you play at night (laughs) um so so yeah so here I am in in Arizona and then I finally like start working for this chiropractor I end up really loving it and he taught me a lot about health and fitness and that's really like where my passion for that started to come into play um and then randomly in Arizona you would never think I get discovered at the mall, like one of those stories. And they say, you know, you really um, need to come in and audition for this GoDaddy commercial. And I'm like, oh, okay. It was like a Super Bowl commercial. I'm like, okay. I've never really thought of like taking acting seriously before, but I'll, I'll do it. Sure. I go on and I audition and I thought I really sucked. And then I get a call back. And at first I'm like, oh my gosh, like, that's crazy. It's a Super Bowl commercial. It's amazing. But then I come back and they say, well, you didn't get the part um, because you look so much like Danica Patrick. And she was in the GoDaddy commercial. Mm-hmm. They said, we want you to be her double, her body double and her her stand-in because she needs one. Hers just became a son's cheerleader and we need one. And you look so much like her and you're the same height and color and all that. And so I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And that led to working with her for like four years. I was her body double, her stand-in. I did all of her, you know, work with her and her Super Bowl commercials and everything. Um, 
and met a lot of really cool people doing that, um, which then led to being, it's so random in Arizona, but a production assistant. I met this producer and this like scout, you know, no one moves to Arizona to get into the film industry. And so he was like, you know, if you have time, I would love to like hire you when I have commercials and shoots and we do like sports illustrated shoots so like still shoots commercials like everything and so for like the four years that I was there I really um I did a lot of PA work and a lot of the time either someone wouldn't show up or um the director would like want me in the commercial and so I never auditioned but I was in a ton of commercials and stuff like just like because I was there. Tony Cedar just skipping the line, just skipping the line. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, cool. And I remember pissing off like the producers and all that because I would be supposed to get breakfast or lunch and I'm in the middle of taking orders and then the director's like, get her in hair and makeup. She's going to be in this. And they would be like, but she's taking lunch orders. And like, it just caused a little that bit. Of never life. happens. You know that, right? You know how weird your life is. That never, ever happens. I... I've heard that, but at the time, like to me, it was just so normal that I'm, I thought, okay, this is just like what happens. But um, I had a really good time. There were amazing experiences at the Grand Canyon, like um, all over Arizona, just these amazing shoots and every shoot, you know, you meet amazing people and they become like family because you're working with them on a TV show or whatever for a few days and you experience these crazy experiences. Like there were a few really crazy um, shoots in the snow at the Grand Canyon. We like almost died a couple of times, like in the models, like going crazy. Like, oh my God, like I was driving a 15 passenger van in, in like a snowstorm. I had never driven in the snow and I had never driven a 15 passenger van. I'm like 23 and everyone's screaming I'm like skidding all over the road at the Grand Canyon and everyone's like losing their mind I, I remember I remember a camera guy going okay pull over Morgan pull over I'm driving <laughs> <laughs> so um great experiences like some of the best in my life so I don't regret Arizona at all but my relationship was really struggling um he was gone all the time at school or work and then his parents moved, like he bought a house with like on his own. Um, we weren't married, but we were together and he just decided to buy a house and he came home one day and he said, I bought a house today. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, wish I was involved, but okay, you know? And he's like, well, too bad, we're moving. And uh, we moved into this beautiful house and I remember that year he turned my car in um, that was almost paid off and he got me a Mercedes to be nice, I guess, but I couldn't afford it. And he was like, don't worry about it. It's on me. And what he ended up doing really was like putting me in a situation where he kind of controlled me because I didn't own anything. I didn't have anything. Like I was kind of financially dependent on him oh. and the relationship really took a toll. His parents ended up moving in with us without asking me, they just showed up one day, his sister, his brother's kids, and it just got to be a lot and um, took a huge toll. And I, neither one of us were happy. Um, and then I found out he was cheating on me with one of his coworkers. 
And I said, you know, like, I thought we were going to get married. We've been together for like four or five years now. And um, he's like, well, this is just how it is. Like, what are you going to do? You're not going to leave. Like, I own this house. I own your car. Like, you can't afford it. And in a box. I'm like, yeah, you put me in a box. And I'm like, I would rather be on the street than be with you. You make me sick. And so I got a U-Haul packed up the stuff that I moved there with and I left and I got home and it just hit me like I came back to Hemet and it hit me like I haven't lived at home since I was 17 I don't know what I'm gonna do for work I don't know where I'm gonna go and I really didn't think about it until I showed up with a U-Haul and I'm like I guess I'll put myself stuff in storage Um, and my grandma took me in and she lived in, she still lives in a retirement home. So it wasn't legal, but I stayed with her and we kind of just snuck around and it was very interesting because I'm going through this breakup. I was heartbroken and not really sure what I'm doing with my life at this point. And she was kind of mourning the death of my grandpa. And we were weirdly in the same situation in life but completely different stages in our life yeah you know so we started dating again at the same time and we're trying to figure it out and it was just very interesting it could be like a sitcom like it was it was pretty cool we were both like we're grieving drinking all day like (laughs) like figuring it out we were doing crafts and we started working out together and that's really where you know I decided to get into fitness I was you know really into working out to kind of as a stress reliever you know I wasn't really happy with my body um my ex in Arizona would make fun of me like with my thighs saying I had fat thighs or fat arms and it really got to me those little comments and so I thought you know what I'll show him and I'll you know so I really started going to the gym every day and getting you know, really into it. And there was a class at a community college and, you know, I decided to, you know, take that class. I borrowed money from my grandma because I was pretty broke and I did the class and, um, you know, I needed to do a two week internship at a gym to get certified. And that's where like this new exciting chapter happened in my life um now hold so on how, how old are you at this point now I'm like 25 25 yeah okay 24 25 I think I'm 25 yeah and I um I do know that this was like 2012 the end of 2012 um I decide like I'm just gonna close my eyes and pick a gym on a list and my finger lands on Equinox. I had no idea what Equinox was. It was Equinox and it was in LA. And I'm like, I miss LA. Like, yeah. I guess it's time well, to go all back. The, all, the, all good stuff was. Yeah. yeah. And so I, um, I'm i like, well, now I need a car. Like I didn't have a, a car, but I had, I remember I had $2,000 in my bank account and I went to an auction with my dad and my uncle and we found a car for, I got it for $1,000 it barely had paint on it. It was a little Ford Focus. 
was supposed to be green, but like half the paint was missing. The, um, the mirror was like duct taped on, on the mirror. Yeah. And it barely, it was like, my friends would call it the massage seats because it would like, like rattle, rattle and shake <laughs> it was on. And, um, oh, awesome. so yeah, but I, I bought that. We put, put new tires on it and here I am coming to LA. Um, not really knowing how it was going to work, but I knew it had to work. And so I had a two week internship. I'm like, okay, I just need to find a place to stay for two weeks. I call a friend who is like a childhood actor friend that I met when I was, um, you know, doing photography. And he's like, yeah, 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 come crash in my house. And I get there and we're talking and hanging out. And I'm like, thanks for letting me crash. Only be here for two weeks. He's like, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. And then his girlfriend shows up and she did not know I was coming and she was not happy about it and I'm like you didn't tell her that I was coming he's like I didn't think she would care I'm like obviously she does and so they go and talk and she, he comes back out and says Morgan I'm so sorry but you can't stay here and I'm like oh okay I start an internship tomorrow I have no idea what I'm doing so I stayed in my car and I this to me is I'm sorry this to me is one of my favorite parts of your entire story because the common theme is that whether you knew what you're going to do or not you went into it with no like you didn't you didn't you didn't fall back and like rely on the plan to work out and you just went for it without any sort of and that's you've done that up to now whatever it takes you're going to do it and this part to me is the most pivotal part for you because this is the bare bones, the bottom line. Having a place to sleep, having a home is the one thing we all can kind of cherish. Your bed, your pillow, your blanket, your time. That's your cozy sanctuary place. And you even have that now. That's also now gone. I love this part of the story. So sorry, continue. I just, I, I always admired you for this part of the story, like specifically. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, so I just, you know, it was one of those situations where I'm like, all right, this is this is what it is. I will figure it out. And I, you know, stayed in my car. I show up at Equinox that day and I'm like, this is a gym. Like, you know, it was in Woodland yeah. Hills. Like a hotel. And it looked like a spa. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I cannot believe <laughs> like I'm interning here for two weeks. And it was very intimidating. And then this like handsome man comes out, Don. I don't know if you ever met Don. Of course, well. I know Don. He's so hot. It's annoying. Whatever. Don. He's yeah. like this retired football player, like mm. just handsome. They would call it, what do they call him? Like handsome Don or something. He's just like beautiful smile. And he's like, hi, I'm Don. Welcome to Equinox. And I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? Uh, and, uh, so he's like showing me around and he's like, are you certified in TRX? I'm like, what's that? And he's like, what about Viper? I'm like, huh? And like, it's just like everything he showed me. I'm like, I don't know what this is. And uh, he's like, wow, you're really new to fitness. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a little new. Um, and he's like, it's fine. And so they gave me the internship because he was like, look, I shouldn't give this to you, but I have a feeling about you and people are gonna be pissed that I gave you this opportunity, but it's only two weeks. We'll see how you do after the two weeks. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, thank you so much. And so here I am like, okay, I got the internship, I'm here. I'm just gonna make the most of it. I don't know exactly what I'm gonna do with the living situation, but it's just two weeks. Mm 
-hmm. and then I'll figure it out. So most of the nights I like slept in my car, but there were a couple of nights where like old friends from Look at this. Sorry, guys, but my dog is like chewing the oh hair. Oh my god! Bring it up again. Bring it up again. Sorry, one more time. Bring it up again. There she is. Hi. Oh. Um. So, you know, there were nights where I did have a friend from the past that would let me crash with them for a little bit, and I'm very grateful for that. But most days, I would just get up at you know, Equinox opens at five. I would go in. I would shower, do my hair and makeup. No one knew that I didn't have a place to stay. Um, you know, I don't like saying I was homeless because I just feel like I, I never felt that way. I never felt depressed about it or upset about it. I just felt like this is a tough time, but I'll get through it. Um, and so I, you know, I would go eat off the dollar menu at Taco Bell cause that's all I could afford. And then, you know, go to sleep in my car, get up, go shower, go to eat. And then everyone was like, you're here all the time. You're serious about this. And part of me was like, yeah, I am. And part of me is like, well, I have nowhere else to go, but I couldn't. <laughs> no option. So, um, what do you think, sorry. What do you think that like, I don't know if you didn't have the answer to that question, but where do you think that came from that? Like that, that's all what you just said, the, you didn't think of it that way. You were going to do whatever it took. Where did that, is that from your parents? Is that from any other mentor you had? Is that what, where did that come from, from you? you know what's funny is that I really don't know where that came from for me because in high school I really played the victim mm -hmm. um I think that after overcoming you know I think what it was was getting out of that abusive relationship was really hard for me and I think that made me feel very powerful when I finally did sure and then to be able to leave like a boss and be like, I don't need you with my Arizona boyfriend mm -hmm. and be able to just do that and know that like I knew my worth and I wasn't going to settle for a man that was going to put me in a box, cheat on me and like me depend, you know, like stay because I depended yeah. on him financially. I just, I, by then, I think it was a combination of like doing all of the Danica Patrick stand-in stuff and the ring girl stuff and the hanging out with a lot of really cool, talented people. It yeah. all like working at the Playboy Mansion, like it all gave me confidence to where I felt like, okay, like I know my worth. I know that I'm, that I deserve something. I know God has a plan for me. And I just, it might be hard, but like, I know I have to do this. This is where I feel like I need to be. This is where I feel like I, I'm going to do great because I've been through so much that I feel like I can relate to a lot of different people yeah. and I can help people. And I know how it is to hate your body. And I know how it is to struggle with a lot of different struggles in life. And I think I can help a lot of people. And I knew it's just what I needed to do. But it was really tough because, you know, there were days, it wasn't all positivity. There were days where I'm like, eh, it's temporary, it's fine. And then there were days where I'm like, what am I doing? And really it was, there was a day where I thought, you know what, I think I just need to go back to Hemet. Like, I don't know what I was thinking. Oh, because after the two weeks, guess what? I get the job. I get the job mm -hmm. after two weeks People were not happy about it, but Don really believed in me. Thank God for him. And he was opening up a new Equinox in Encino. And, and so the, the deal was, 
with the man the other managers was okay if you hire her you're taking her with you when you leave mm -hmm. um and he said okay done and so the other managers made it clear if you need anything you go to don i'm not your manager like they did not like that i wasn't experienced and that i wasn't educated but i took notes i shadowed other trainers they started to see that and eventually I won them all over, but it took time. And <laughs> I'm not going to lie. You know, even back to the, your first, from, from that point on, all the way up until now, skipping the line at the theater, at the Chinese theater. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And you see, what is that? Can I get some of that? Can I have a little bit of that? <laughs> I don't know where it all comes from, That's but so awesome. you know. no, it's awesome. It's great. And it's true. And there, there is something about you that people just trust. And anyway, continue. But well, thank you. Um, so I get the job, I get hired and I'm like, great, but I still don't have a place to live. So that it got really tough um, there. And on, honestly, like one day I thought, you know what, I can't, can't do the same more. I think I'm going to go back home. And I don't even know if he knows, like, how what an impact he had on my life but this is like such a hollywood moment um i'm like thinking this as i'm fixing the weights i'm like like bent down fixing some weights and and uh re-racking them and i get a tap on the shoulder and i look up and it's alec baldwin and he goes he goes hi and i go hi he goes you're new here and i said I am. He goes, I'm Alec. And I'm like, yeah. Uh. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm Morgan. Nice to meet you. And he's like, so what brings you here? And we just start having this conversation. And he was like, you know, you're beautiful. You know, you could be an actress. And I was like, well, I'm really not into the acting thing. I think this is what I want to do. And he's like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, okay, well, if you ever change your mind, you let me know. And I'm like, thanks, Alec. <laughs> So he kind of gave me a shot. He was in town for the Emmys and um, was nominated. And, you know, he let me train him a couple of times. And that really helped for me to like, people saw that. Sure. And so here's this new girl. No one wanted to give me a chance. And then here I am training Alec Baldwin while he's in town. And people started to like, question like oh who's that girl I maybe I want to train with her and and I remember he won and he comes in uh sorry he comes in the gym the next day and he's like you know screams from the, like the other side of the room hi Morgan and I'm like congratulations and he's like oh I don't want to talk about me how's That's it going awesome. and like awesome. you know he's just the nicest guy and I remember thinking no like I can do this. Like he restored this confidence in me yeah. and, uh, and right when I was going to give up, it's like, he was like a little angel that came to me and, and like really made me believe like, Oh no, I, this is where I'm meant to be. It's just a hard time. I will get through it. It will all work out. Um, and it did. And so I ended up, you know, living a couple of different places that didn't really work out very long because they were guys that like just tried to sleep with me. And when I, you know, when I wouldn't, they kicked me out of their house. And so then I'm back in my car. But by then it gave me time to save up and, and have, you know, a clientele. And so I rented a room from this couple, this like older couple, but it was like in the ghetto. It was pretty bad. And by then I had clients that, you know, were really 
wealthy, well off. And I had this family that I still train to this day. They're like family to me. And, you know, they, they just basically sat me down and said, look, you've been through so much and we really want to help you. Um, you just haven't caught a break. And we want to give you our guest house in Bel Air rent-free for a year to get back on your feet. Oh, and I just broke down crying. I felt like I won the lottery. I'm like, this isn't happening. This isn't happening. And they're like, you're only living there a year. We're not going to be your crutch, but we do want to help you. And so we hope you save every penny and you're like, you know, you can go be independent. So I literally like pretty much went from my car to one of the wealthiest homes in Los Angeles. Skipping the line, see? Right to the <laughs> that Chinese theater, man. That's like the benchmark of your whole life. It's insane. That is so cool though, wow. Thank you. So yeah, I saved every penny mm -hmm. um, and was able to save quite, I mean, that was like really when my career started taking off as a personal trainer. And I, yeah. um, you know, I just had the best clients that stayed with me you know, I still have, some of my clients have been with me since day one. I've been doing this for nine years now and I still have them. And I just was very blessed to have really great people in my life that have helped me in so many ways. Um, and so I, you know, saved up, moved out into my own place and, um, you know, just really like just was so grateful and did not want to screw up that opportunity and that without them I don't know where I would be because I still you know like have that money like I just I started saving it and saving it and they really like I felt like finally I got a break like I knew it would happen I knew it would happen I just had to hold in there and and it really set me up for where I am today um so yeah I mean like I was at Equinox for I ended up going to Encino, working there for six years. And then it, I just felt like it was time to go. I felt like I had gotten everything I, you know, could get out of Equinox. They were great. Uh, I'm still a, a member before COVID anyway. And I, and I love Equinox, but I just thought, you know, I've kind of, I never thought that I would say this because I was so grateful for the opportunity, but I feel like I outgrew it. And my clients were like, why are you still here? I pay like $10,000 a month in training my whole family at Equinox with you. And how much of that do you get? And I'm like, not 10 grand. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's for sure. that's, yeah. Yeah. And he's like, well, I don't want to give my money to Equinox. I want to give it to you. So why don't you quit and, and we'll figure it out. And, and so it, you know, I asked all my clients, like, are you guys going to be cool with that? And they're like, well, you're the only reason we're still here. Like I have a gym at home, let's go. And, and so I, they were all very supportive and I left Equinox and, you know, I, now my dream was to live in Santa Monica. I love the ocean. And so I, you know, am able now to live in Santa Monica, a few blocks away from the ocean. And I feel just like, so blessed that I'm, I have amazing people in my life um it all worked out and now I feel like I've even though I'm not where I I want to do so much more mm -hmm. I feel like I have made it because in my mind I told myself if I could be independent on my own and not have to worry about paying bills in my mind I will have made it <laughs> 
that's like that was my goal and now i've made it and now i have new goals so uh yeah so that's why you and i are doing this podcast we have a clothing line we are you know pitch our shows and you know we're we're doing things we're doing things kid yes doing it but yeah i mean i was in a relationship with an with an actor and um you know there was a kid involved and um not yours not mine Mm -hmm. you know it was really it was a really um it was a learning experience there were a lot of ups and downs Uh, and at the end of the day it just it didn't work and um you know I don't regret any I mean there's like like there's so many relationships I've had friendships I've had where um you know like it just it just didn't work like and and I know that people are mad at him thinking he did something wrong or they're like they still to this day like ask questions and it's just like one of those things where it just wasn't healthy it got to the point where it just wasn't healthy and um I think why I stayed in it as long as I did was really for the kid and 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 so it was just at the point where I knew I had to get out for my own safety like not safety but like mental health and and so I just uh I just knew that it wasn't that it wasn't right, that it wasn't going to last forever. And I, it really like broke my heart to, you know, to walk away from, from it because of, of the little girl involved, but I, but I had to, and I, I don't regret it. Like I, it just, it was just one of those things. But, well, um, you well, you shouldn't regret it. That was, that was for you. You had to be selfish at some point. You were being selfless the whole time, the whole point, the whole time. So you had to make a choice for yourself, which, you know, is a lesson we can all learn. What are some things you would say in hindsight, um, all these years later from the accident and um, what you've been through up until now? What are some What are some things that you can say you've taken away from all that? Things you can offer um, to the listener, just from you know an extraordinary standpoint. Yeah, um, I think like the main takeaway. Okay, a couple things. Mm-hmm. I really am glad that I stopped looking at myself as a victim. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong is that a lot of people go through things. Everyone does. Everyone has their thing, you know, whether it be abusive relationships or it be body image issues or it be health issues. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, I could have easily gone, I mean, look, I could have easily gone, look, I was, hit by this drunk driver and now I have all these health issues I mean to this day I have diverticulitis now I'm in and out of the hospital I I had a back injury because my back is messed up from the car accident I was in abusive relationships I was mistreated I you know I could play the victim all day long and I could use that to do nothing with my life and just sit home and cry which a lot of people do and I feel it's very unfortunate because what I ended up doing is and because mainly because I had amazing people that were brought into my life to make me see this is that I was, was put through those things because God knew that I could handle it and that I was going to turn around into something positive. And that's kind of how I started to look at, at things is, um, you know, I was meant to go through those things for a reason. I think that that makes me a good trainer because training is not just about, 
working out, it's, it's, you know, I've had so many clients tell me like, you saved my marriage. I'm like, I did. And then they explain what they mean by that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I didn't know I had that impact. I've, I've helped a client lose 150 pounds and run three marathons or two, two marathons. We were training for a third one and then got injured, but but two full marathons and never thought, I mean, when I met him, he could barely walk up the stairs. Um, you you want to give, give, give him a shout out? Throw that name out there. Parker. Yeah, Parker. Stop Parker. I still train him. Nine we all love Parker. Strong. And uh, yeah. And I, I, um, I just know that like, there's been a lot of situations. I've had clients that were suicidal that called mm. me. I've had clients that have overdosed that have called me. Um, so I feel like I was meant to help people because they feel comfortable. I can relate to pretty much anybody because I've been through it all. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest thing is don't look at yourself as a victim. Start looking at it as, you know, you are here, you're breathing, you're, you went through these things because obviously you were meant to, and it's, it's yeah. to make you stronger. So stop getting in your own way, you know, and just make the best of it. Somehow turn it into a strength, um, write a book, like do, you know, make a TV show, a movie, do something, a podcast to reach out to people. So that, you know, it, people don't talk about a lot of their struggles. Like I never thought that I would admit that I was dyslexic. I was ashamed of it. And then I hear like Dax Shepard talk about it. And I'm like, oh, like, yeah. I'm not alone in that. There are people that are dyslexic. Like there, you know, people have um, a lot of different things that like they think they're alone about and, and they're not. It's just people don't talk about these things. And, and so I think that it's important to just talk about it, get over it move on from it, make the best of it. And then, um, you know, like, like that was like really the turning point for me is just looking at it as everything that I've gone through is a strength. It's made me stronger. Um, so yeah, I think that's like my, my main takeaway from, from everything. And then also just, um, you know, not giving up when things get hard, you know, if you really like think about your why, like why you're doing something, why Absolutely. you're, you know, and, and I think that as long as you know your why and you know that this is what you want to do, whatever that is, like you just do what it takes and you don't stop just because things get difficult. Um, you just figure it out. You figure it out. Like if you really feel like it's your passion, then it will all work out um, and don't settle. Don't settle. Don't like settle. That, Mm -hmm. speaking of don't settling i'm single again <laughs> just throw it out there oh man. I have a, um, if you if you could go back to uh to I mean, there's so many different versions of you would want to have this um question answered but if you can go back to like to, let's say the 17 year old you the version of yourself when you were drinking heavily and you were in that place if you could offer up some kind of not not any wisdom to give yourself a crutch, but just some kind of perspective to lighten the load a little bit emotionally and all that, what would you what would you tell yourself? Oh my goodness. Okay. 17-year-old me. Mm -hmm. 
at the at the rock bottom low when you felt you were in that place just before you were making that those decisions to change things up for yourself and quit what you were doing at the start of all that mm-hmm. you know i th- i think i would just i mean i would tell myself to like wake the f up like <laughs> like <laughs> stop stop yeah. like i said stop being a victim like like you're you're alive, you're fine. Like you have people in your life, family and friends that love you and you're better than this. Like, you know, like I was using alcohol as like this escape and this crutch, you know, to deal with things because I didn't want to actually deal with it. And I, um, yeah, I think it's just so important to go, okay. Like, you know, when you're doing something that's not right and not healthy. you know and so I knew it and I continued to do it for a long time and so I think the most important thing is just to like not look at yourself as a a victim and just you know do something with your life like you're here for a reason and you gotta you just gotta figure it out so (laughs) so you said you're single now what what happened what's the deal Oh yeah. So this is new, newly single, just a couple of weeks. Mm. Um, and I know like I've posted a few things, but like people don't really know, like, you know, who I was dating, but I was in a long distance relationship. He was in Fresno. I'm in Santa Monica. Mm. Um, we met during COVID on Instagram and I still love him. Like we had an amazing relationship. Um, but the long distance, obviously like, you know, everyone says long distance doesn't work. And I thought, well, I mean, it could, you know, he said from day one, he was willing to move here if it got really serious. And Mm. I trusted that. And, you know, he said like, I would move here tomorrow for you if, if it came down to it. And so we were together for about seven months and I got to the point where we were talking about marriage and he said, I have to be honest with you. Like, I don't want to leave Fresno. And I really thought about, like, even though I said I never would, I thought about going there because I love him. But when I really, like, stopped to think about it and I did, you know, I've, I have been going to therapy for years. I yeah. think therapy is a great thing. Um, and I really, like, talked to my therapist about it and we did a lot of work and, uh, you know, on like how that would go for me and I just knew in my heart that like it wouldn't it wouldn't work for me I love the ocean I love where I'm at I love my clients and my career and even if I gave all that up which I was willing to do Fresno like to me I just don't know if I could really be happy there and it's so far away from my family Mm -hmm. and it just was one of those things where we had to be honest with each other and love each other enough to let each other go really is what it was like his family's there his career's there my family is closer to here and my career is here and so we just had to really sit down it was a very like um like very healthy breakup where we just said you know it's just we we love each other and we just we love each other enough to like let each other go and that's basically that's the hardest that is this relationship ending was honestly like harder than any of my toxic relationships 
um, with a lot of them, I didn't even, it's, it's going to sound bad. I think I did all my crying in the relationship. I didn't even cry when we broke up because by the end I was like, ah, oh, that was so toxic, whatever. I'm glad it's done. Yeah. Makes um, sense. But with this one, I cried a few days. I mean, it really, um, really affected me. Hence why I bought this little, this little ray of sunshine. Like <laughs> I needed a little positivity in my life right now. Um, so yeah, it was, it's really hard because we didn't have a toxic relationship. It was beautiful and it just didn't, it didn't work out. And that's what I mean by like, I didn't settle. Sometimes it could be the right person, but it's the wrong time or, totally. you know, and that means it's not the right person. And so, um, that's kind of what I mean by like, don't settle. If you know that you're supposed to be somewhere, like be there, if you know, you're supposed to be, you know, like you just can't settle. So I just knew it, it wasn't right. So here I am, here I am again. We have seen each other through lots of relationships. And A things. lot. Yeah. And so now, I mean, really next chapter, what that looks like to me is mm -hmm. just really working with you on this podcast and the mm -hmm. clothing line. And hopefully COVID is kind of over soon and we can get to our new normal whatever that is and yeah. i would love to like get back to working on these pitches that we have these show ideas that we had are so amazing and tie into the whole healthy lifestyle situation and yeah. i i love it and so i just really want to focus on on that eventually hopefully write a book about about my life um because i do think that maybe everything that I've gone through can help people. And that's all I want to do. That's the point of this podcast is just to help people, inspire people. And I love every one that we've had on so far. Um, the first nine episodes, I love all of them. They're so inspiring to me for one reason or another. Um, so I just want to continue to like get really cool guests that have been through a lot themselves and just continue to inspire and uh, make a difference. So that's the goal. Well, I'm looking forward to being a part of that forever. Thanks, Brian. Well, this was important. I think it was important for everyone to hear what you're all about and why you are all about what you're all about and what you've been through and how you've gotten here. And I think it's just so cool. Um, I mean, I'm old. I'm 34. I'm sure I've been through a lot more than we're missing, but <laughs> that's the gist. The lights, the lights are going to blind me and I'm like feeling like I'm forgetting things. <laughs> I haven't slept in two weeks because I have a newborn, <laughs> but no, I think we're good. I think, I think we did uh, it. And if people have questions, you know, I'm yeah. an open book. Y'all can DM me, uh, yeah. write me. I love all of your, your DMs and your questions and mm -hmm. I'm always here for you. I try to answer everybody. So check out the website. We'll put it at the end, go to the website, buy some things. Buy some things. Buy some things. We're going to get new things soon for spring. I'm excited. Look out yes. for that. Yes. We have masks now. We have masks. We'll get those up on the website. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but we'll get those up. So we'll get them so, up. We're doing it, guys. Thank you for all your support to everybody out there. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. I am truly grateful for every single one of you. I couldn't, we couldn't do this without you. So thank you. Agreed. All right, Aunt Momo. Great job. <laughs> Great job, Ben. I'll Thank talk you. to you later. Talk to you soon. All right, bye.